you know, we, we were in beta testing for a year. The amount of calls that failed in the first seven months of that beta testing was 70%. To get that down to less than 5% was the main job. And it wasn't until like two or three months ago that we really had deep insights into how to do this and why we even understood why no one else has done it. And then with that realization, we were able to create what I believe is the absolute best experience on a video conference. My name is Angel Munoz and I'm the founder and president of Beacon. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Labpart, and today how Angel Munoz created the highest quality video conference experience in the market. All this and more on Code Story. In his early career, Angel Munoz was an investment banker specializing in technology. He was fortunate enough to invest in the development of MP3s in the 80s. In addition to this, he is well known for being the spearhead of what is known today as esports. He's a father of two kids and has been married for 36 years. His passion centers around interactive entertainment, specifically in the world of gaming. He tends to lean towards first-person shooters because they have a real sense of immersion. He loves post-apocalyptic games where you have to survive in a world where our systems and infrastructure have been completely removed. After launching a successful social media platform around the gaming community called G-Tribe, he started to create experiences inside the community. So much so, he and his team attempted to integrate video game aspects into an audio-video experience. This is the creation story of Beacon. So Beacon, at, at its simplest, you know, if you wanted to uh, make sure your audience understands it quickly, it's an audio-visual communication platform with a whole different perspective on what these interactions should feel and look like. We were very much informed by gaming. So as you're a gamer, you will understand the cruel reality that when you are in a game, the environment, if you were to step away from it from a, for just a second, you would realize that it's a bit cartoonish. But the job of a great you know, game developer is to engage the suspension of disbelief so that you for one second or for the entire period that you're in the game, believe that you've entered into a whole different reality. So what, I, what we noticed on, on, let's say, video conferencing uh, platforms is that the opposite was taking place. You know, they, they, you know, the movement is to make these calls, you know, just transferring information from one point to another with a complete disregard of how we perceive reality. So we were informed, and I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have lots of friends that are uh, video game developers, 
And over the years, we developed a, a few items that we wanted to integrate into an experience to make it feel more lifelike. The purpose of Beacon is to act like a teleporter. You want to teleport the person, your mind, into the person's reality. So, so in my case, you will be in my office, you know, and you would feel like you're there. So there are four major things about Beacon that are strong characteristics of Beacon. One of them is quality. So to me, that's the most important. Then there's simplicity. We made it super simple, very simple to use. Uh, one of the magical things that you'll notice when you're on a Beacon call is you go and you will see that there are two panels on the side that have icons that are outlined, just outlines. And, and it's a whole story how I got that, I, that vision from a South Korean zombie movie. I saw it on the screen, they flashed it for a second. I'm like, that's what Beacon needs to be like. And then these columns vanish, they slide away. And all you have is a person in front of you. And that is unique. Velocity is another one, um, which means that we work like this software in the browser, which you know opens it up to the billions of people. I think there's four billion people that have installed browsers. But what I really wanted is really fast connects. One of our competitors called BlueJeans is owned by Verizon. Their claim to fame is that, you know, we're the fastest because we're at six seconds is the connection speed or the reconnection speed, either one of them. And ours is three. We, we say four because if you're on a slower device, it's going to take a little longer. But really, the, the, the average when we look at all the reconnects is three seconds. So we're at three seconds. And then one of the things about, uh, about a beacon that, um, that is unique is that I don't know if you know that Zoom got caught red-handed, that they were not, their calls are not encrypted. And so what we did is we understand why the calls are not encrypted. I, we understand that they're using old technology. Zoom is an old company. It's not new. A lot of people think, okay, well, I heard of Zoom last year, so they must be new. No, they've been around for a long time. Their technology is, a, is actually anchored in a three versions before of what the current technology is. We're on the latest. So with that, what happens is that you cannot really do encrypted calls if you have a server in between. So the moment, the only way to do an encrypted call is what's called true end-to-end, -end, meaning there's no server in between and you're, I'm connected to your computer, you're connected to mine. We tried that for a long time to scale that up. It can't be scaled. But we were lucky that we have been working with Google and Google developed something that's called insertable streams and insertable streams is a technology that you can put a, what's called a, mi a middle server or a mid server between the call and it stays encrypted on the server and that's what we're using so we're the first ones to use that if you're a journalist for example and you know one day you know you may be doing an interview with someone that their location has to be private they're being pursued by some government or something where do you do that and have them on a video call unless, you know, Snowden had to go to Russia, <laughs> you know, that is not what we want in, in our world. We have two-factor authentication, we have biometric authentication, we have token authentication. So we use all of the ways for you to protect your Beacon account so that no one can log, in, log into your account. So Beacon has that all built in.
it started with uh, my concept of helping technology companies and how to properly communicate with the audience they wanted to turn into clients or into consumers of their products. You know, 11 years ago, social media was just in its infancy and companies needed a lot of uh, handholding and how to, you know, how to put their brand out there, how to think globally instead of regionally. And to perfect those, we started, I, I've always been fortunate enough, but in this case of Mass Obnoxy, I was extremely fortunate to have a phenomenal group of software engineers and technology experts in the company. And we started creating solutions for companies that were uh, based on, on trending technologies. And what we figured out is that the more we try to enhance the experience for companies, the more uh, organizations like, let's say, for example, Twitter and Facebook, were forcing companies into paid types of models uh, to reach the audience that they have already paid to uh, build. I've always valued organic reach more than paid reach. Our response was, well, if that's going to be the case, then we're going to create our own social media network where we do not interfere with that process. And we're going to keep it real niche and real and real, you know, tiny. And we started by launching G Tribe. And G Tribe now has 5.4 million people, somewhere around that number, from all over the world, from every single country on the planet. And it's very, very niche, very specific about, you know, for technology enthusiasts and mostly for PC gamers. And then what happened was is in, in creating experiences inside of the G Tribe experience, we came up with the idea of trying to integrate gaming, video game aspects into a audio video experience. We started that project about six years ago, and that's led us into today Beacon that we just officially launched yesterday. Take me back six years ago and tell me about the MVP, that first product you built. How did you build it and what sort of tools did you use? That's a, that's a good question in the sense that there are standards. So the standards, you know, it's open source standards that are out there. And the standard for video conferencing is called WebRTC for real-time communication. We started there and WebRTC is wonderful. It's a, a product now, the author of it, is now an employee of Google, genius level type of performance on his part. The problem is that it never was meant to be used for large groups, uh, and there are impediments to that. So what's happened is that companies like Zoom and Microsoft and Cisco, Web, WebEx and all that are constantly having to refine that experience. Unfortunately, they're already anchored on that old technology. So to answer your question, we started there and then we noticed that, that we couldn't scale up the quality of the experience we wanted. So we actually abandoned that, we forked it. So we still have that. Uh, we still have that project that still works independently from Beacon. And we forked it, which is a term that's used in software development to say that you took it in a different direction and created a more vivid experience. So now to answer your question, the first experiences that we had on our first product were just like what you see on a Zoom call today. You know, grainy, you know, stamp size, 
uh, <laughs> you know, that kind of experience, that, you know, harsh audio. And the experience that you now have on Beacon is breathtaking. And the audio is really high quality. And you can have up to, you know, 4K resolution. So it's day and night uh, from what we, where we started. Tell me or, or take me into some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make, you know, talking about where you started with WebRTC and, and things of that nature. How did you go about making those decisions and, and how did you cope with them? They were tough. So I don't know of any other company, frankly, that had the same goals and motivations that we had, where our goal was to teleport the mind into someone else's reality. We want it to be somewhat indistinguishable to the mind when you're on a beacon call that you feel you are in the room with the person. So having that as, <laughs> as the goal meant that we had to create a product that was super robust and quite frankly, unscalable. We couldn't scale it at all. What we had to realize was that we had to compromise in a sense, you know, we, we were comfortable with it in, in, in a respect because of PC gaming, and I'll explain. When you are in a video game, if you're on a PC, not everybody has the same experience. So the reason why is the game uh, adapts to your hardware and to the capabilities that you have. If you want ultra and ultra level experience, you have to have the latest hardware and all that. So we made some of similar decisions along the way. So what we realized is, okay, not everybody can have an ultra HD experience with the best of audio and all that. So for them, we're going to modulate the experience a little to be a little less because that's going to work on their device better. But for someone like me, or maybe you, that may have a gaming PC, the experience will be completely different and a lot more uh, believable as far as you're going to feel that you're in a 3D environment. So the compromise that we had to make came down to bit rates. It came down to what type of resolution that we use. It came down to a list of little knickknacks things that actually change the experience and adapt it to the device that when Beacon, when you're running Beacon, it obviously knows and what device, you know, what device you're using and it adapts itself to that device. So from that point, how did you progress the product and, and take me through kind of how you built your roadmap and decided, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. I wish I could tell you that we had a clear roadmap, but what happened was, and I'm, and I, I'm hoping that this is common for all developments because it seems to always happen to me. But what happens is you go into the, into development, you have a clear idea of what you want to, you know, what you want the experience to be, because we're all about the experience. And then what happens is things break along the way and you find yourself in kind of a race to fix things. And that is probably the most uncomfortable and the least reassuring process of, of developing new technologies because it's constantly testing your convictions. It's con constantly telling you, okay, you may be shooting way too high. You may be doing this wrong. Why are you insisting on this? You get this constant voice in your head. And to continue despite that and despite the evidence where people, you know, we, we were in beta testing for a year. 
the amount of calls that failed in in the first seven months of that beta test testing was 70 percent to get that down to less than five percent was the main job so i would love to tell you that we had a beautiful game plan and, and it was you know and it was this gorgeous process of development it really was very challenging and it wasn't until like two or three months ago that we that we really had deep insights into how to do this and why we even understood why no one else has done it it's just like it was very clear to us and then with that realization we were able to work through it to create what i believe is the absolute best experience on a video conference when you set out to do something like this there has to be you have to have, there's something broken in your mind because you are all the evidence is telling you and all the facts and everything you're saying you're seeing is telling you this can't be done this just can't be done no one's done it for a reason and for you to persist <laughs> beyond that it's almost an act of insanity it really is and I have to say that I do not wish this on my worst enemy. It was very frustrating. It was frustrating for the people in our company. It was frustrating for our PR team. It was frustrating for everyone that this was not working the way it should. But the belief that I could make it happen is what drove the day. And people stayed because of that. You mentioned team. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. How did you build your team and, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? So uh, uh, people are very surprised when they ask me that and it, 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 it seems like they're, they quite don't believe it. But I can tell you that the people who work for us uh, in software engineering and the, you know, in all different respects, really were chance encounters on the internet. Either they were part of our social media network and said that they wanted to volunteer because they believed in the principles that we stood for. But we have never, knock on wood yet, had to go out there and hunt for someone. That has not happened. So our software engineers, our network and security experts, our artists, everyone has come and, and a lot of them have been working with us for a very long time. I, I think the median is eight years, if not a little longer. And it's such an incredible group of individuals. I am so proud to have these people with me and they're from all over the world. One of the decisions we made is we were way ahead of the pandemic on that. We decided people should live where they feel comfortable living. We don't account for hours of work. We account for results. That's all we look at. We want people to live their life to their fullest in every respect and not just be about one thing in their lives. So that has attracted a lot of people. Yesterday, for example, I got five emails from people that are part of our community saying, hey, you know, here's what I do. I would love to work with you. Here's what I do. So there's even more and more people that want to work for Mass Luminosity and Beacon. It's strange. I know it doesn't sound right, but that's the way that we've hired every single person. Well, let's flip to scalability then. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one or are you fighting this as you grow? Uh, no and no. 
<laughs> no, we did not. We, like I said earlier, we built the platform with the idea, like building a, a, a PC game that only can be played on the highest level GPU and the highest level CPU. That's how we built Beacon to begin with. Once we went into beta, because it would work on, with small groups, the first beta test we did uh, was very interesting. This is about a year ago. And we had 10 people on the call, all of them with robust gaming PCs. And we were thinking this is going to be a day of major victory. Everybody has a robust PC. And Beacon was so hard to run on their PCs that we crashed seven of the 10 PCs. That's where we started. <laughs> I have to say that we had a call on Beacon uh, that we used a our new, we have an engine that also is a streaming engine underneath the Beacon. Let's say the Beacon is the car and then, and then there's an engine inside. There's two engines. There's one for interaction and another one for streaming. And we had 900 concurrent people watching us on HD and it worked perfectly. So to say that 900 people watched it, that's another, that's a, you know, you have to be careful what people claim. So we had up to 900 people, concurrent people at one time and no major issues across the board. It was beautiful. People were commenting left and right. That was just absolutely breathtaking. As you step out on the balcony and look across all that you've built with Beacon, what are you most proud of? It's a little silly. What I'm proud of the most is that I, that I was able to reverse the process of how things are developed. Games are developed to imitate life and to make the experience somewhat indistinguishable from reality. I took that and applied it to reality. <laughs> so when you're on a video call, it's real, right? You're not, you know, you're seeing a human being there. But instead of it seeming real, you know, it's made to look a bit cartoonish. And if the person moves too much, you get, you know, frames per second drop and all that. So what I think the whole process of bringing sort of the main ideas of gaming that have to do with aspect ratio, what is, what is, what, how does the eye even see? What, how do we perceive reality? Uh, saturation of colors you know, sound modulation, resolution, things like that, that I promise you, I don't know of any competitor of ours that's even thinking that way. So I don't want to, I don't want to sound too negative about them because obviously they've been wildly successful, but there's nothing quite like, like Beacon. And if you have great, great hardware and an HD, you know, uh, 4k camera, you can actually use it and it'll blow minds. People actually are shocked when they see 4k on a video conference. I mean, it happens every single time. So I would say that's what I'm most proud of. The whole process of informing our decisions through video games and not the other way around. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Well, the mistake we made, I can tell you right away, was that we thought that you can take one experience and make it equal to everyone. <laughs> you know, like everybody has to have this incredible experience without consideration to hardware or, or anything else. We persisted on that mistake for seven months, almost eight months. Yeah. And we thought we could make it work. And it just, there's no way. There's just no way we have to modulate the experience based on the device. There's just no way to do it. Phones were overheat. 
I, I have to thank my beta testers. <laughs> they, they, um, you know, they saw their phones reboot, they computers reboot. <laughs> we were crashing systems left and right, and there's just no way to do it. Not that I know of. We couldn't figure. You know, I like I like to say that we figured a thousand different ways of how not to do video conferencing because our goals were so high and our aspirations were so high that we just wanted everyone to have an incredible experience. But that being said, even a person on a bad device will actually experience higher resolutions and a more vivid experience than on any other on any other platform. So the low for us, the low that where we drop to make these these work is I know that sounds like a selling uh, moment, but it's true though. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's true. It's higher than any of the other platforms that are out there uh, because it's different. We use different protocols and, and, and because we're motivated by different things. Zoom has been very successful, but I don't know that many people that are fans of Zoom. I talk to a lot of people that use them. They're like, I'm ready for something else. That's interesting. So that's the so different, but yes, it was that whole idea that we can make the experience sort of similar or the same for everyone, independent of the device or the internet connectivity they had. That's just not possible. Well, tell me what the future looks like for Beacon, the product and for your team. We had a great launch. We have on the first 24 hours of launching Beacon, uh, we've had a little over 100,000 people joined, which was incredible for us. I mean, we were very pleased. And signups are uh, running about 10,000 a day. So that's really good. So we are very happy with that. The goals that we have is to add more features to uh, to Beacon. So Beacon, as it starts, uh, the, the version we launched is free. So there's no advertising, there's no, <laughs> there's no distractions. That's one of the things about Beacon that I like the most too, is the fact that it's so clean and the interface is so minimalist. So we've launched what's called Beacon X, which is the free version. Unlimited time, we don't limit the time, but you only can have up to six people on the call. That's the only limitation. So that's more for family, friends, and you know, some real small companies. The next level of Beacon is called Beacon Plus, and that will come out in a few months, and that's $4.95 a month, which is, you know, I think extremely reasonable. And it adds a number of new features to it. Some I can't talk about, unfortunately, because we are filing patents for them. We don't want to tip our competitors, but they'll be very shocked when they see it. And that's $4.95. It increases the number of people to 25. And it gives you a lot of things like translation on the fly. It's just more, more feature full. And then there's a step above that that's called Beacon Max. And that's $14.95 a month. And it adds up to 100 people if you want to on a call. All, I think, extremely reasonable. Obviously, the, the pricing is underneath the market. So we are much lower than the marketplace. And then after that, and somewhere in December to the first quarter of next year, we launch Beacon Enterprise. And that does up to 100,000 people on a call. And those are the steps. <laughs> well, well, Angel, let's switch to you. Who influences the way that you work? You know, a CEO, an architect, a person, really, really any person. Name a person you look up to and why. Not that many living people. Nicola Negroponte would be one, MIT professor, 
wrote a book called uh, Being Digital maybe 15, 20 years ago, foresaw many of the truly foresaw and you know if you read the book you'll be surprised how many of the technologies have been implemented that he foresaw way back when he his he's somewhat known for using the terminology bits over atoms and that's something i have made sort of the mantra of my company if given a choice of atoms or bits and all all things being equal we're going to choose bits uh, bits as the as the DNA of information, atoms as the molecular structure of matter. I love that. I just absolutely resonated with me, and that's been a huge influence on my decisions when it comes to development. So what we do is interesting. We want to create virtual experiences, let's say bit experiences, but we want to bring to those bit experiences as much as the atom experience as possible. You may now understand why that was important to us on, on Beacon. To say you're creating a bit experience, you know, and for it to be so removed from reality that doesn't have, that you can't connect to it as a human. We are humans. We are living a human experience. So we need some connective tissue. And that's what, uh, that's what drives us. But that comes from, from his book, Being Digital. I've never met him, but uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, every time that... Uh, uh, that he has, I haven't, I've disconnected with him maybe five years ago. I hope he's still alive actually, uh, but uh, maybe six years ago. And, uh, but I've read everything he has to say and he's been sort of a shining light on my decision-making process. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? I really wouldn't do anything differently. I think that the entire process made our product so much better. Um, if I would have, okay, so the first thing that would come to my mind is, okay, we probably should have just from the beginning chose to make, to adapt the experience to the device. But if, but then I would have always wondered, <laughs> was the contrary possible? Why are we minimizing the experience? I would have not had those answers because no one tried to do that before of making the experience equal. So I cannot tell you one point where I would change any of the decisions we've made. We have a fantastic staff. I have a unbelievable board of directors that is extremely supportive. I am surrounded with people who, who uh, see and share in my vision of what the future should look like and how we should contribute to society and leave the world just slightly a better place. And so I wouldn't change. I'm, I can't answer that question the way that you probably wanted me to because I can't think of one thing that I would change in the process of developing Beacon, Mass Luminosity, or G-Tribe or anything else I've done. Well, last question, Angel. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? That something similar did happen <laughs> uh, to me and I just did not see it at the time. So the founders of Snapchat uh, that came across my radar in the very early days of its development. And frankly, um, I did not see the potential or I did not see <laughs> the, uh, 
you know the incredible impact and the in the right timing of, of that but that being said to answer your precise question uh there's a few things i would say but the most important one is don't do things because of money do not make decisions based on the fact that you want to enrich yourself those tend creativity disappears quickly in that kind of environment create the product that truly satisfies you and do it for that for that reason and that reason only and then hope that you're similar to other people who will share on that on that experience and and have the love and passion towards it that you do i think that that a lot of people i see it all the time a lot of startups kind of go through a process to make themselves attractive so they can get investment money and sort of the you know the low hanging fruit and then they find themselves a that they have now divested most of their shares and given them to other people so they're now a minority shareholder of the company and b that they're they they're, they enter sort of a rat race you know they're they're just grinding away and someone else has their agenda in my world that's inconceivable so i would say just follow your passion truly and dare to be different don't do what everybody else is doing so uh, so for example i can tell you that beacon is not a me too product no question about it and the reason why is it doesn't look or feel like anything else in, that's in the marketplace but to get to that distinction you actually have to experience it you can't you can communicate it and i can tell you that but until you see it you will not believe it you're going to go yep that's the line you know <laughs> and all that so we are incredulous to a certain but it when you experience beacon you'll know that's what i how i wanted it to feel like that's what i wanted and that's i think it's lost in the young a little bit that they you know for the right reasons they're seeking everybody seeks money from now from day one when they have an idea in their head but they don't understand what they're giving up they're giving up control of their companies independence they're giving up you know free thinking they're giving up the process that we went through for example for 6 years imagine that follow your passion and whatever however long it takes it takes and just follow it that's fantastic advice well angel thank you for being on the show today thank you for telling the creation story of beacon well thank you for having me and this concludes another chapter of code story Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on Patreon.com/CodeStory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.